Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this very special bonus mini-series contained within the horniest campfire for all things modern men on the internet, Miami Nice. This is Tokyo Nice. I am one half of your partnership here, and speaking here is my editor with her furious red pen, uh, the Rinko Kikuchi of our podcast. It's Katie Walsh. Katie, welcome if back only, to Tokyo Nice. <laughs> if only I could exude the, like commanding presence of Rinko with a red pen. I mean, <laughs> he's got, I wouldn't mess with her. I wouldn't She's cross got, her. <laughs> all the B, all the BDE in this show belongs to two people, Ken Watanabe <laughs> and Rinko Kikuchi. Yes. Um, pretty yes. much exclusively. Uh, so yes, here we are. We are back um, talking uh, all things Tokyo Nice. This is our second of eight episodes that we're going to be doing on this mini series. We've got a couple of guests that might be coming up. This one um, is uh, the second episode. So we had the first episode, obviously, directed by Michael Mann and the show creator and executive producer JT Rogers. Uh, the second episode, Kishi Kaisei. Uh, directed by Joseph Kubota Vladika, Japanese, Polish, what a mix, and written by Carl Tara Greenfeld. Before we get started on everything that happens in this kind of uh, fleshing out of the series that does a great deal of introductions on a whole bunch of the different characters, there's been some discourse, Katie. I think we need to drop it right as it's hot at the top. Yeah, there's so much, there's so much discourse. I was like... It's kind of good. I think it's good that people are watching the show and talking about it, but Agreed. it is interesting to see what things people are picking up on, what things are annoying people, what things are, you know, you know, they are they're picking at a little bit. There there's a minor discourse brewing about some of the needle drops and how they are anachronistic and it's like, "Hey man, just like let it be vibes. Let it be Pearl Jam vibes." Yes, it's 1999. He might be listening to Pearl Jam. It happens. So um, just because it feels obvious in some respects, I think a lot of people forget 
that we were all listening to NSYNC and Pearl Jam. Okay. <laughs> right. Can we just relax? Like we were listening to, we were listening to Guns N' Roses. All right. In 1999, right. some of us were still deep diving on Nirvana. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like we were going back, like grunge, you know, even though Kurt Cobain was dead, long dead, we were still going back and like rediscovering the, the lineage of all of that grunge. Cause we didn't want to let it go. Cause we saw that like grunge was dying at the death of Kurt Cobain and like, I, there's that but I think the most direct thing that we need to talk about is yeah this is the the major discourse that was the minor discourse that was yeah. brewing the major discourse yeah. is what we could call the drop off yes. which is what some people have been calling it from episode one to episode two obviously episode two is not directed by Michael Mann and Joseph you know what we can also say but so many episode twos of so many series not directed by Michael Mann <laughs> I just I just want to throw it out there. You know, I lots know. of you know one of my main problems with all movies. This is not directed, directed by Michael. By Michael. <laughs> That's a fucking problem for me. It's a really big problem. You know what? <laughs> That's a problem for a lot of people, and it, it's a problem that we need to address in our world. However, I also think that like what makes a Michael Mann project special is almost like the scarcity of it because if we just had. Proliferations of Michael Mann content, it wouldn't be special. Yeah, so we have right. to, you know, savor the little gems that we get. And the thing is, like, anybody, any person who is tasked with directing the episode who comes after Michael Mann, I mean, that's a tough position to be in. <laughs> it's the <laughs> toughest hang um, ever. You've, you're yeah. talking about a filmmaker who has a ravenous fan base stoked in part by this podcast yes. and, 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 and absolutely embraces all those people. And we've been yearning for him to ply his wares on different topics and subjects and themes that we feel are so, I don't know, resonant in his entire resume. And when you add a fish out of water investigative journalist, you know, uh, story that's in Japan um, and, you know, a, a person who is kind of out of their depth and is yearning to be that kind of Michael Manian professional and you're sort of seeing them from one side and you get to see him use all these tools from, you know, whether it's television tools like Crime Story or Robbery Homicide Division or the collaterals of the world or insiders, like it's it's pulling together this this toolkit implying it in that first episode, the test. And what we talked about is that like, you know, there's a reason why we call him one of the greatest living filmmakers and why I've dedicated and Katie has dedicated so much of her time talking about him is because he's one of the best filmmakers going around and expecting a guy to follow him up. And this is no slight on Joseph Kubota Vladika. I think, you know, he's got a couple of things he's directed um, um, uh, right now across television and films but he's you can't you can't expect this guy's going to be Michael Mann. Like it's a real like it's an extremely unfair task to say it's an extremely they're not, not going to say there's not there's not going to be some difference. Okay, there might even be funnily enough there might even be some difference if you put a Michael Mann directed. And I'm going to go out here on a limb. If you put any of the five. If you put any of the five best director winners of the last five years from the Academy Awards to direct in the second episode of Tokyo Vice after Michael Mann, 
you know what I'd probably call that mostly? A fucking drop-off. A drop-off. I would call exactly. it a drop-off significantly. Significantly. So yeah. expecting that this poor dude is not going to have gonna some be... stylistic differences is, 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 is unfair. It's exactly. And it's an impossible situation because if he copies Michael Mann, then everyone's going to go, you're copying Michael Mann, you're doing a bad ripoff of Michael Mann. And Lord knows there's plenty of people who do that already. So he's... I will not mention the joke I said already off air about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm keeping my sources close to my chest as in keeping with this show, right? The intel is confidential. Um, but yeah, so he does his own thing. And I happen to like Joseph Kubota Vladika's style. I, I think he does some really cool things with lighting and space and neon in uh, the two episodes of his that I have seen. And um, he has a really great film that came out earlier this year in the U.S. called Catch the Fair One, which is a crime thriller about a woman who's an MMA fighter who is searching for her sister who has potentially been human trafficked. And she mm. sort of goes through this, like, array of different men who are, you know, potentially in the in the scheme of this human trafficking scheme and it's uh the actress is named callie reese she's an actual mma fighter she's an indigenous and cape verdean woman and it's, it's a really cool tight efficient crime thriller that i think is really worth seeking out if you can um he's also directed a bunch of tv he's directed some other stuff and i think he's just like taking the task of ushering this story along um and doing it in his own way and i think that that is totally fine and it's not like it's you know i think if he tried to copy michael mann it would be completely ridiculous but michael mann sets the template of like this world and our characters and you know he takes it and he does his own thing with it and i i happen to really like the two episodes that he directed i it's so funny that you and i manheads are defending we're defending like this guy because we're not insane. Like it's, like it, <laughs> I just want to say like, who the fuck thought this guy was going to be as good as Michael Mann? No one. I know. And you I know, know. the first people would have told you he was not going to be as good as Michael Mann. No offense. Us. So right. People are like, oh, it's not as good. It's like, what did you do? You, expecting that someone could just do Michael Mann as effortlessly and intuitively as Michael Mann does Michael Mann is like not understanding why we've spent, and I can say for myself, exactly. literally thousands of hours and years of my life working and studying this exactly. Work. Like it's yes, you're dismissing the 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 talent, and you know, look, talent is unfair. Okay, it's not it's not it's not fairly proportioned around everyone, and that's not to say that it's not good. It's just that. He's, he's using a completely different modus operandi. And I think it actually fits in with the theme of the episode, which is, you know, generally, and, and Katie, you please tack on if I miss anything. Mm -hmm. this the first episode is almost la almost laser focused on everything that Jake um, uh, Adelstein is doing. And, and at the, towards the end of that first episode, we start to really um, get a hint with Rachel Keller's Samantha and then also um, show uh, Kasamutsu's Sato we start to broaden the scope just ever so slightly that these are going to be more important characters than just simply fringe characters and focusing exclusively on Jake. And this second episode is 
a complete blowing out of the entire narrative. It's actually, it almost like reinforces that this is not just a Jake Adelson story. It's going to be Aimee, so Rika Kikuchi's character. It's a huge opening up of the Sato story. Um, it's it's even going on to um, Masayoshi Haneda, who's Kume, who's like Sato's boss, like working on tho- those different things and, and seeing the, the different bosses um, uh, come back and even his workmates and all these things. It's a broadening of the series. And so one of the visual things that change in from episode one to two is that it stops being this very experiential individualized view of the world and Jake as the focal point. And it starts to broaden and just start to see how people operate in spaces. And so like in the very first scene, it's like Jake running away from a chef with a knife (laughs) and it's this big foppy head, you know, six foot four Ansel Elgort, like running like with his long limbs down a street and it kind of makes sense for that. And then seeing him squash into his apartment and those slow push-ins on characters and then seeing, you know, people occupying spaces. And I feel like that that's like, and I think the best directed, my one some of my favorite directed stuff in the entire series, there's a couple of moments in this episode, which we'll get to. It's when Ken Watanabe's uh, character is, uh, so his Hiroto Katagiri, when he, and Katagiri goes and visits the victim's partner from the first one, the accident, so the accidental death with uh, katana swords and yeah. wounds. <laughs> it's not a murder. It's not a murder. Please not don't say it's a murder. We, we haven't said it's a murder. <laughs> it's not a murder. Um, when he goes and visits the wife of, um, uh, you know, that, that victim and there's like a, there's like a sort of sliding doors moment where Jake, um, so Ansel Elgott's character and Ken Watanabe are in the same street out the front of the house and Jake's seeing his car parked there. And there's this just kind of like great energies of like the two significant characters who we were teased in that sort of film noir introduction to the first episode together. Are they're getting closer. And they're, yeah, they're just getting closer to one another. And there's this great, almost like very soft, near dark street light. Jake riding his bike, this old classic car on the side of the road. There's just this great energy is a great tone. And I just think that he's, you know, uh, it's about space. This is mm-hmm. it's about space and it's about interconnections. Um, and, and I feel like that's what this episode starts to reach toward that, that the other episodes hadn't quite got. Yeah, there. exactly. There's an expansion and an interconnectedness going on. And even in the opening sequence where Jake is running from the chef and he's trying to run down this story about a panty thief um in in the neighborhood <laughs> that he's been assigned but then it's also being intercut with rachel on her motorcycle not rachel it's sam i keep wanting to say rachel rachel <laughs> keller is the actress sam is on her motorcycle and we see what sam wants and sam wants to get a piece of property and open her own hostess club and she's sort of we're starting to see her put that into motion and, and we're seeing her relationships with people you know, behind the scenes at the club, we're seeing how things work for Sato, even though he's this tough, cool, slick guy, he's really lowest man on the totem pole and he is getting slapped around by his boss. Um, And then we're also seeing how Katagiri operates as a police officer, both, you know, in that scene you're talking about with the the victim's wife, you know, trying to talk to these people and understand what's going on. But he's also this like gang interventionist with the cat Yakuza. Um, as we see at the end of the episode, he interferes with um, the Tozawa uh, uh, Yakuza group clan. I don't know what to call them. Um, 
coming in and trying to get in on Sato's uh, Yakuza territory. I think that their name is like Chihari Kai. Um, So, you know, Tozawa is coming in and they're attacking these business owners and saying, Chihari Kai cannot offer you protection. And so they're wreaking violence in order to try to get their business because that's how they make their money is, is collecting fees, protection fees, um, which is part of what we see Sato do in this episode. And Katagiri um, and Jake both end up at this um, uh, restaurant where the Tozawa oh. is like about to kill a chef. I love that scene because- That scene is, woo, that's a great <laughs> scene. It's a great scene, scene and it's like beautifully lit. I love, you know, and um, Jake is sort of above this like golden light and he's spying on them. And then of course he takes out a giant camera <laughs> that- uh, um, the, the, the ugliest, loudest <laughs> 90s camera like, of all time. <laughs> and they're like, everybody like slow turns and looks at him like, what are you thinking? Like he, oh, like every episode he like does something like kind of dumb <laughs> to yes. just indicate that he's still a rube and still a noob and kind of a reckless cowboy as it were um, when it comes to reporting and not quite getting it. Um, but it's this process of him trying to figure out how does this work? And he's really going for it. Like he's trying to develop Miyamoto as a police um insider informant and Miyamoto is just there for the bribes he's just there for the steak dinners and so towards the end of the of the episode you you see Jake the gears turning for Jake this whole episode but he's like okay I'm wasting my time with this guy Katagiri's the big fish Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Yeah, Katagiri's the guy who can walk into a room after a Tozawa like bunch of soldiers barge into a night spot, injure people and threaten people 
with a gun and they're like literally about to do a gangland execution and he can walk in with no weapons whatsoever, come up and get his cigarette lit and just make peace. It's a very intense and, you know, there's a great, again, the spaces in this episode and people occupying spaces and how they fill the spaces feels to me like very much if I was, you know, trying to get inside if I was trying to get inside the head as like, you know, uh, of Joseph Kubota uh, Vladika, I'd be saying like every episode we'll, we'll, we will talk about, we'll have sort of like a directorial theme, but this is about spaces. And even like it starts right in the early parts of the episode where like there's the push in of him standing in the um, interrogation room and he's watching one of his cop buddies beat up one of the Tazawa sort of soldiers who was like really low on the totem pole. And then they diffuse this situation later on. And it's like, how can Watanabe fills that space? And even Jake is so funny. Like he's such a big guy. He's like crouching down behind this table under that golden lit thing you're talking about. And he's trying to sort of like figure out what's going on. Um, and Ken Watanabe just walks in and just fills the whole space and everyone just mm-hmm. calms the hell down and everything is just cool. And all right, we're going to finish this off. And, but yeah, this is, this is where, you know, actually in my mind is closer to getting these two characters together than I expected. I wasn't expecting Jake and Katagiri to come together as quickly as they did mm-hmm. um, or, or encounter one another as quickly as they did. And I was very pleasantly surprised that that was the case because it's like, let's go. Like, okay, now now we get to get to the process of like, how do you bring down, how do you bring down a corrupt entity like, um, like a Yakuza gang in the middle of, Japan, who's very much about repressing and suppressing information to keep the peace um, with all these interconnected and sort of like equally probably corrupt entities around them. How do we keep the peace with them at the same time? So, yeah, I, I had a real, I had a lot of fun. And I, yeah, this is a gorgeous, I, I mean, again, the drop off, but it's a gorgeous, <laughs> this is like a gorgeous scene in this episode. Like this is like almost feels like the whole episode is leading up to the architecture of this one scene. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think there's some, I think, Vladika pulls out some really gorgeous shots in this episode and then in the next episode. A lot of great stuff with light, as I said before, in space. And um, it is interesting, like when you were saying you were surprised that Katagiri and it, ta- it, it happened so quickly because, you know, we know they come together because there's the opening sequence. And then it's like, okay, now we just have Jake who's like, I'm taking the test. I'm starting my job. Like, how do we get from point A to point B or point D, if you will? <laughs> And um, yeah, I do love that this whole episode, they're sort of dancing around each other. And then they finally do have this interaction at the end, kind of where he like says, you know, don't write about this and give me that camera or whatever he says at the end. But, and it's interesting because you know that his intervening in this organized crime event, he's like, I don't want this. Like, this feels like it's like off the record not e- not even for the newspaper like it's off the record for the police like he's like <laughs> i'm just diffusing i can do this no one else can do this and like let's just keep it keep it on the low and um that is just really interesting that he has you know like you were talking about his presence and the way he fills space and stuff like that I also think, you know, that we're starting to see other spaces we see Rachel's home space we see um, the spaces of the victims, we see Emmy's home space, like her going home and things like that. So it is like the tendrils of the story, the octopus tentacles are like reaching out a little bit more. So there's also a lot, a lot going on and, and a lot of, a lot of work to get done in this episode. 
Yeah, and I the, the one of them you talked about, Amy, so Rinka Kikuchi's character. There's another great like dimension of you know because <laughs> Jake Jake always gets the the foreigner. Uh, yelled at him every time he makes a mistake and it's just he's the shorthand in the office is that he's the foreigner, he's the outsider. Um, but that sort of stratification of, you know, um, uh, like Japanese social status and class um, is really heavily, you know, referenced um, in Rinko Kikuchi's character, you know, being um, multiracial, you know, being being Korean and Japanese and having both of those sides um, or having Korean, Korean descent and living in Japan and working there, you know, having to navigate that situation, sort of like suppressing the fact that she's um, maybe got that Korean background or can speak that or is married to a Korean person or whatever the case may be. There's that you can start to see there's a little bit of that more, um, you know, ethnic specificity that's coming through, which is really cool. Like for me, very int genuinely interesting and very cool. And also, you know, I, I think there's, we've kind of been dissuaded in the first episode about that whole, like, you know, dissuaded from that myth of like white savior, you know, American dream nonsense, sort of like just that very rote archetype at this point. Um, but what's really cool about Samantha's character is like buying property is such a funny thing in Japan. Like that whole, like there is a, I'm not going to sell you the property if I don't like you, if there's not some kind of connection, if, if I, as the person who is getting the money d d approves of what you're going to do with that night spot, does it give money to me in an ongoing basis, you know, qui bono who benefits some really interesting stuff happening in this episode. And it, it, it doesn't like it, none of it feels like lip service. It feels like every little thing just shows another layer of the different like social complexity that, is being navigated for foreigners in Japan. And it is more and more interesting to me as a viewer because it's like, it's not just like some story thread. Oh, she wants to open her own club. It comes with its own level of complexity, even if it wasn't dangerous for her, which it may become more dangerous <laughs> as the series right. progresses. It's not even that. It's just that a real estate won't even talk to you because they don't like you because you're a foreigner and they don't want to sell it to you, even though right. they, that would rather not take the money than sell it to a foreigner. It's an interesting. Uh, There's all these unspoken rules and systems that they're trying to figure out as they go, that they're just like fumbling through. Yes. Um, I the also girls in this episode, Ella Rumpf is in this episode. Paulina. I was going to say, <laughs> she has a very fun line for me, which is when she's buying the tie and she goes, I think armadillo looks stupid <laughs> or something like that. Stupid. Anyway, she's great. She's like hungover and crazy and buying a tie for one of her clients. Um, so yes, Paulina, Ella Rump. We love her. We love her. Um, yeah. So look, that's, if the first episode of Tokyo Vice was about immersion, the second episode is about it's, um, a sort of individual initiation. This is much more about like expanding on that. It's like taking an open view of all the characters that we are going to encounter. And as Katie and I have seen now up to like sort of episodes um, five and probably by the next episode up to episode eight of, uh, it feels like it was meant to be eight episodes. IMDb is telling me squirrely things. Um, it's saying it's <laughs> 10 episodes, it's eight episodes. I don't know what's going on here. Side note, and I, cause I think this has been a part of the discourse as well. <laughs> IMDb is messed up on this series because initially before I even got the screeners, it said Destin Daniel Cretton, who directed Shang-Chi and Short Term 12 and a lot of really great movies, 
directed all nine episodes. And then so I neat. reached out to my friend who's friends with him to be like, hey, we'd love to interview Destin. Sorry, this is like how the sausage gets made. And he's like, oh, he didn't direct any episodes. So he just is an executive producer on the series. And IMDb is all messed up. So like, do not trust IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, what's even what what's what's looking better and more reliable at the moment, as strange as it sounds, it's Wikipedia. Yeah, Wikipedia has all of the writers of the eight episodes in the series so far. It says Ken Watanabe's in ten episodes and and Ansel's in ten. There's not ten episodes in the series. There's only eight. Um, and the first and last episodes are both written by JT Rogers, who created the show. But it doesn't even have listed who directed six, seven, and eight on Wikipedia at this point. Oh is it a it's, secret? I don't know. I got the screeners. <laughs> I've got the screeners Did you get too. Them? Yeah, I've yeah, got we them. Need to, I, just... we, I haven't watched them yet. We need to like just okay. scroll to the end. Next episode, <laughs> next episode that we come back and we talk about Read the Air, which is episode three, again directed by Joseph Kubota Vladika, and this one is directed by Arthur Phillips. When Katie and I come back for that episode, we're going to tell you who directs and yes, writes. and six, seven, put it eight. on the Wikipedia. Someone put it on the Wikipedia. <laughs> one of you boffins put it on the Wikipedia. I don't. I'm too scared to open the door of editing Wikipedia. I'm I really wouldn't know scared. how to do it if I'm I even tried. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I'm too scared. I would delete Wikipedia by accident. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, um, someone at IMDb, is, which is usually extremely reliable, is absolutely on one right now. You need to get, you need to get this yeah. Tokyo. IMDb is messed up. And because like, I also went and I looked at Kubota Vodka's page. It didn't even have it on there. I mean, well, maybe now, it is on now there now. it does, now. and it says that he directs four episodes of the series. Well, then. Well. So we'll just have to wait and see. Unreliable, unreliable sources. This and is what happens in reporting. Yeah, this is yeah. <laughs> like much like Jake, we have an unreliable source. IMDb <laughs> is the Miyamoto of this IMDb, podcast. We're, we're going to tell you there's no panty thief. When in fact, there's no panty thief. When there is a panty thief. When there is a panty thief, just because it yeah. amuses us. Just because it amuses us to stitch up a foreign journalist. Um, and and get some some bottles of champagne and, and steak dinners out of it. Actually, he didn't even get a steak dinner out of it because Jake scammed him back. Skip, <laughs> skimped him on the bill. Um, yeah, look, I, it feels... Can we just say, you're allowed... We, we also want to say this. You're allowed to have an opinion. For sure. That makes that this opinion... Michael Mann directs better than other people. <laughs> okay? <laughs> I'm just going to go I'm going to throw it out on a limb and say, "Wow. Michael, you're Blake. allowed to, you're allowed to have that opinion." But also big words. Big words, right? <laughs> but also, don't go and shit on another emerging director who's clearly making independent films, testing the waters in a couple of really cool shows, you know, Narcos. Um Narcos Mexico who did The Terror. Um, you know the uh, the, uh, the the continuation of the the series, the Terror, obviously catch the fair one as Katie said. Like, don't go crap on like an indie filmmaker for not being as good as Michael Mann. That is the most ridiculous, patently ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Um, also, I think he's like in his late thirties or forty, so like he's still in the beginning stages of his career. Michael Mann has thirty years on him <laughs> or I mean, more, and. If you look at almost all series, 
that a big filmmaker has come in and stamped their authority on the series and directed the pilot, there is always a drop-off, one might say, because yeah. if you're the director of that first pilot episode, usually you're going in with a voice and a tone that is, you know, very, very much better. Now, on the inverse, people might also know, I think David Fincher is quite swell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, swell, yeah. swell director. Spent yeah. a little bit of time talking about one of his films recently. Mm-hmm. Just a bit. Just a bit. I think the best directed, directed episode of Mindhunter Series 2 is not directed by David Fincher. It is not directed by him. Even Which though he one did is di- it? It's the Andrew Dominic episode. Ah. That's written by our girl Liz Hanna, who was also on Zodiac Chronicle and one of the co-writers of that episode. There's a couple of people who wrote on that episode, but it's the Charles Manson episode of Mindhunter series two with that fantastic interview that happens with all of the, the three guys in the room. And, um, that's directed by Aussie director, Maverick, Andrew Dominic of Chopper, Assassination of Jesse James and upcoming Blonde, Blonde. which Katie and I are looking forward <laughs> to so much, um, just for the discourse alone. But that's the best directed episode of the series. You can't convince me otherwise, personally. Like, as far as content, as far as the zenith of that, you know, getting to the very, the peak of the writing of that series where it was cresting the philosophy of the series, the characters, and the direction, completely stylistically different to David Fincher. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, David Fincher's, one of David Fincher's closest friends and great near and dear collaborators, like, as a, as a sounding board, is Steven Soderbergh. And I think Soderbergh... Is, has a fantastic point, and I'm going to paraphrase him here, which is being showy for showy's sake as a director is like something that Soderbergh has said time and time again. You know, he does not want to ever put a shot in that is showy without actually having some sort of thematic reason for that to exist. And like being showy for showy's sake is just the worst kind of directing. Cause it's not, you know, like for example, like one of Fincher's best directed movies you might say is like panic room because the, the whole architecture of the house and working alongside kept script and going through keyholes and all those sorts of things. It's like a big Hitchcockian um, and not in that sort of swanky way that it gets overused, but legitimately like, riffing on Hitchcock vibes and Hitchcock themes, like working the the house to be and the setting of the house to be so much of how you experience the entire movie. Like the fact that you are confined is everything in that. And Soderbergh always talks about these days about like, if I don't, if I don't need to do more than a two shot, why am I, why am I doing a drone shot, a flip shot, a inverted shot? Why am I moving? If I don't, if it's, if, if the scene doesn't require it, then don't do it. And I feel, I feel like sometimes, what's undervalued is like, this is shot on location in Japan. It looks gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. If we just want to shoot a street scene in Japan, in one of the beautiful districts that we cover, just shoot the, sh- shoot the scene. Like sometimes you don't need it to be p- like this experiential thing. It doesn't always need it. And again, also, so yeah, I just think don't be a dick. Come on. Like positive yeah. hot takes guys. Positive hot takes. Yes. Also, I'm going to I'm going to just say there's one exception to this rule because I was always taught in film school like the style has to um serve the story and unnecessary, you know, stylization is is only it has to serve the story. Yes. Exception to the rule is Michael Bay. <laughs> Except you could argue that all of his stylization 
is serving the vibes and the story yeah, and all. the thing that he's trying to do. Yes. So if he wants to do a million tracking shots around someone getting out of a car, then like God bless and thank God he's doing it because but, but he, we need that. Yeah, no, but Michael Bay, like when he does a thousand tracking shots, it's because the to him that character's exit is, needs to be larger than life. Yes, it's like gods and deities and like yeah, majesty yes. and idolatry, and he's like worshiping them with the camera. Like when you think of like the bad boys shot, oh. and they're like, uh, that, everyone knows what I'm saying when I say yeah. the bad boys shot. <laughs> Katie just did the swagger through back her shoulders, <laughs> and, and like, but 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 that thematically makes sense. Like he's trying, like in that moment. It's, it's, there is, a, I think Bay underscores why, like, and puts a big exclamation point thematically why things work like that. But yeah, so, I mean. And all the drone I, shots and, and ambulance are necessary. A hundred percent necessary. And I would, and I would argue that more people need to watch ambulance as to say what, what a drone shot yeah. can actually do. When you, when you catapult a drone at the speed of an F-18 fighter jet into an explosion of a car or a car crash at the same time. That's cinema, baby. That's cinema, you know? Um, but that is cinema. Did you see that? Like, I think Vice tweeted out like a video of the guy who was piloting the drones and he's like a champion esports drone racer. So is it esports? I don't know. I don't know what any of this stuff is called. He's a champion <laughs> drone racer and he was doing the camera, the drone camera for Michael Bay. I'm old. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I love, I love, I love seeing that drone stuff. And even if I am old, but, um, but yeah, that I thought that was really cool. Like they, he literally gets like the best drone racer to, to do this for him and it pays off and you should yeah. see ambulance. You should see ambulance. That should be it. And you should also realize again, just one last time when Michael Bay directs things and I'm um, sorry, when Michael Mann directs things and then other people direct things. They're different. It's, it's not the same. <laughs> I was going to say, it's not the same. <laughs> Do we need a, the obvious shirk? Okay. If I get like enough retweets, I will put on our store. I will put on our store collectively with a, a Tokyo nice logo that says when Michael Mann directs things <laughs> and other people direct things, it's not the same. We, I mean, yeah, we might, we might need to understand. I might need that. to make, I might, I might need to fast track that shirt being created because if you guys are interested, just let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, Katie Walsh STX, and yes. one Blake minute. Um, but yeah, look, I think this show. One thing we can say overall in this series, because we've seen, both of us have seen as we're talking to you right now, five episodes. We're going to probably have seen eight by the next time we talk, um, or at least a couple more uh, on the series. It is absolutely worth your while. And the series continues to be interesting. The characters continue to move in interesting ways. The story continues to move in it like in an evocative way, in a cool way. And these other outside characters who've only just had, you know, touched on get bigger roles and the and it gets more interesting and more multifaceted and more interconnected as as these uh, sort of introductions happen. And it looks fantastic. Like uh, the next couple yeah. of episodes, there are a couple of really phenomenally directed episodes. And I think unfairly maligning a director because he's not Michael Mann is the dumbest fucking argument in the history of <laughs> because arguments. if because yes I just I'm trying to imagine the opposite if he had tried to copy Michael Mann then everyone would be like oh he's copying Michael Mann so you know it's an impossible situation so why are we even having the argument um but or, yes and I would also or the inverse he copies Michael Mann and people praise him like he's an original right you know? like Chris Nolan 
Um. <laughs> They're like, look at this guy. Where did he come? What's who's? Where did he get this style? I know. I'll show you a couple movies. I'll show you exactly where he got this style from. <laughs> um, hot takes, hot takes. Um, Sorry, that yes. was a negative hot take. I apologize. No, no. I went against I, my. I went against my own thing. But I, you, you're, it's a lose lose situation. What you don't want to work it's a in lo- exactly. It's a lose lose situation. So just don't even bother. And I would say, you know, per, per your point that like it, you know, it's a quality series. Like there's so much TV out there, and some of it is not that good. Yes. And this is actually worth your time and worth your while. So um, yes, please keep watching it. And yeah, yeah. and keep discoursing because it's fun. <laughs> no, keep discoursing because then we'll have more to talk about, but also yeah. get better, you know? <laughs> if the, if you're out there and you've listened and you've been one of those people that's been talking about the drop-off, I'm sorry, but like, you know, this is not necessarily endorsed by Katie, but this for me, get better. Come on. <laughs> Listen, I always, I always endorse get better as a sentiment. Be- like, yeah, do they, better. Do better. At, do better at, oh, this guy's not as good as Michael Mann. No shit. Who is better? <laughs> Let's I have know, that conversation. I know, exactly. Yes, exactly. And, and it, you know, it's just, it's like Twitter just does not reward nuance and it, it rewards these like viral hot takes that everybody can like quote, tweet and dunk on and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's so boring. It's like not even that interesting. So no. And, and the other thing is also, you know, and uh, it's just reminded because on my wall, I've got an original 1984 Terminator poster, right? So James Cameron, you know, his tech noir, brilliant film, probably aged even better, even though I think Terminator, I probably, my most favorite Terminator movie is probably Terminator 2, but like they're so close, right? It's hard to choose. It's hard to choose between those two. They're so amazing. But then someone arguing, like if if your only argument for not liking the sequels is they're not directed by James Cameron, that's a dumb argument because it's like no shit they're not directed by James Cameron. (laughs) What, the greatest action director maybe ever? Like, I don't know, this is a Michael Mann gushing, loving, you know, celebration and podcast. But at the same time, like James Cameron is undeniable, like – as, as one of the most titanic filmmakers, literally and figuratively titanic <laughs> filmmakers of all, of all time, his movies have such a cultural impact that it's, you can't even fathom it. Even in like, even since Avatar was like, you didn't think that movies could hit so big and he hits with original stuff. And it's like, if you, if your only argument with the Terminator franchise later was that it's not directed by James Cameron, then what are we talking about guys? Like, yeah, no shit. We know we could read IMDb and know it's not directed by James Cameron. If that's your only argument for why it's not good, get better. Like just do better. Right. Right. Yes. I mean, Use those other words. movies and those other movies are not that great, but there's plenty of reasons. It's not but just that no, they but weren't yes, directed by James yeah, Cameron. There are, there are other ways to describe it Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Any other fun little things from this episode that you enjoyed. I really enjoyed the development of the character known as Tintin, Mm. which is Jake's friend with the glasses at the newspaper. Um, I just love that actor. His name is Kosuke Kosuke Tanaka. Tanaka. And he, I just think he's really interesting. and, And it just goes to show how this series like really, builds out super interesting people and even the minor supporting roles. And um, they have a great moment. You know, we find out that he's sort of a Francophile and they have a great moment where um, Jake comes to crash at the newspaper because he misses his last train. And um, Tintin is there uh, taking out the trash and stuff. And he's just like, Jake, I was so excited when I got this job. And now I'm like 
really disappointed. What does he say? <laughs> I can't remember the line exactly. He says, um, I was so happy to get this job until it started. And then Jake <laughs> says, every day the knowledge of the world increases a little bit and this newspaper is a record of that, which is a quote from his father and it's like what keeps him going in the spirit of being a reporter and a newsman. And, um, you know, they're they're eating some shit as the, the young guys at the newspaper, you know, doing the the menial tasks that many of us, you know, in, in coming up in industries, various industries have had to do. So I just really enjoyed him. I, I just, I there's so many fun little pieces of, of character work to, to mull over and chew on. You know, there's no shortage of that at all in this series. He's an unsung hero the whole series because the mm-hmm. other thing that he does is he's like, he's really intelligent. He's like the other guy in that graduating class in the test who blitzed it. And he's had plenty of things written up, but he's seeing himself be overshadowed by just the drama that is surrounding Jake's <laughs> yes, entry exactly. into the thing. He's like, man, I've had heaps of stories written. And like, because of the fanfare and because of the fact that Jake is there um, and because he's trying to ingratiate himself into the paper by fitting into the system and he's, and he's you know, having that emotional and sort of uh, moral turmoil now looking at what's happening in the in the whole series i i love him just as a completely under understated you know unsung hero because he's just been plowing away and like and and he like keeps it real he's like this is this sucks and i'm here late and we're both here late and we're working our butts off and it's not it's not working for us and uh and i like him a lot in this series i really do yes so is there anything else you want to just, before we um, move on, is there anything else that you wanted to shout out? No, look, I think um, my, I've already kind of mentioned it, but just my favorite scene is just before that, I think paired with the finale, I, I, lo- I love how different parts of this series have got like sort of different echoes and rhymes and sort of inferences or, you know, like you know, not bearing the lead as, you know, in a newspaper show to say not bearing the lead, but like, we kind of get a preview of Jake and Katagiri's um, relationship in them passing each other in that sort of busy street and Jake passing his car parked across from the victim's house. And then finally in this restaurant scene towards the end. And I just, those two scenes are just like my favorite scenes of this whole episode because one is completely wordless. It's just about actors and spaces and the inference that they're both on the same trail, but one of them is, knows way more about what's going on in category and Jake is sort of fumbling in the dark a little bit. And, and, and those, that, that motion is just so, so fantastic. And then that final scene, it's again, it's like what we saw in the first episode from Ken Watanabe at a distance, Watanabe rather at a distance, we now see up close and personal and just how he's just like standing in front of a guy with a gun and just like grabs a cigarette and has a drag and like, like with, He's not scared. Like, there's just not, there's not even a a hint that he's scared. He's just so badass. It's just like a great badass scene. So I I don't know how you couldn't enjoy this episode just for that scene (laughs) alone. But that, 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 the way, how close in proximity is, how close the camera is framing with the other actor's face. Um, One of the uh, Tozawa sort of soldiers faces there and Kemba sort of weathered, you know, stern, you know, look, just, you know, inquisitively asking for a cigarette. I was just like, this scene. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. It just rules. Yeah. And then you're like, next episode, please. Click, 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 like straight on to the next one. Totally, (laughs) totally. 
All right. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to this special bonus episode of Tokyo Nice. Apologies for the digressions on the drop-off discourse, but we just had to. We had, we had to. to. I had think to. if we hadn't, it would have been – we would have missed – the point in a way yeah definitely so we're going to catch up um with a couple more episodes soon we might have a couple of guests drop in on us um a little bit later on in the series there are definitely eight episodes in this series there are not 10 imdb there are not 10 episodes <laughs> um unless that miraculously are 10 uh well you might have found that out at a later date but right now it's only eight and so we'll have eight episodes and we'll have more um uh miami nice episodes coming very soon we've got a big correspondence uh, episode coming up couple of correspondents we've had one oh that's right the dossier. We've got the dossier about all the alternate endings and other characters that may have appeared in other things. And then we, I think Katie has arranged a correspondent, a secret correspondent for something coming up. Is that is that happening, Katie? Yes. So I do have a special uh, correspondent. Michael Mann is going to be at the LA Festival of Books this <laughs> Sunday. And he's going to be in conversation with Don Winslow. Um, so I have a special correspondent who I've dispatched. Excellent. to this event love, we've got to get the get we've got to get them to come on the show we have to yes like and i yes, said yes. you i said you have to be our one heat minute special correspondent he said i would be honored so <laughs> we're gonna get him we're gonna get all the tea from the la festival of, festival of books michael mann i'm curious i'm curious if he's gonna be like moderating the talk with don winslow or like if they're just going to be talking to each other, if he's going to talk about Heat 2, if he's going to talk about Tokyo Vice, I have no idea what they're going to talk about, but we will get all of the info from the special correspondent who I'm really excited about. Oh, I can't wait. That's so amazing. And yeah, Don Winslow, there was a little while there where I thought Don Winslow had picked up the reins of the Heat 2 book. Oh, so they better talk heat too. So I'm sure they're going to talk heat too. Because, yeah. uh, and you know, if you followed on Winslow's Twitter, which is, is a very interesting Twitter, um, sometimes he just randomly will go off on like a heat riff and like thinking about them and he'll have like pictures of Chris and Charlene Chihilis and stuff like that. And I'm just like, really? Oh, what you up to there, <laughs> Don Winslow? What you there? What you up to there, my friend? Yeah, just spitballing some ideas. Spitballing some ideas. Yeah, so yeah. Um, very interesting. So, yeah, look, guys, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you on an, a couple of episodes of Miami Nice coming up. Um, uh, firstly, uh, uh, while I've, I've got Katie on here, thank you so much for being a part of Zodiac Chronicle. It is now over. This is the oh. first episode that people are going to be listening to after Zodiac Chronicle is finished, completed, done, 24 what? episodes down. You know what? That was such a fun thing to be a part of. I love that podcast so much. And congratulations to you for soldiering your way through oh. like a real Robert Grace. <laughs> <laughs> By the end. Finding uh, your way to the end of that um, gargantuan task. It was a beautiful podcast and it will live forever. I know. Oh, well, thank it's you. That's evergreen. That, that, that's so nice of you to say. And um, there's a there's a tagline on the post, the, one of the great Zodiac posters, actually one, one that was just posted on Instagram from the new Bev because they're doing, on May 15th, they're doing a 35 mil showing of Zodiac. So maybe you know, I should go. Maybe Katie should go. Maybe a anyone, if you like our show and you yes. like Zodiac Chronicle, you, you should go because I can't go and I would love you to go on our behalf. Um, but the line says, there's more than one way to lose your life to a serial killer. And I honestly feel that line so hard. <laughs> I feel that line so hard at the end of that series. I'm like, fuck, that is the that might be the greatest tagline ever. Seriously. Oh my gosh. Hey, uh, you survived the Zodiac killer. Oh my god, man. survived the Zodiac. <laughs> survived the Zodiac. Uh 
uh, yeah, no, it's it, look, yeah, it was a it was a real treat and it was an amazing experience and um, something I'm so grateful for. And it's just sort of weird that it's over, but I just wanted to say thank you because I've got you here, right? Yes. You're, you're a part of it. And we talked about memories of murder. Yes. And Zodiac yes. And, and I put you down the path and you're like, what? What? He did this. He did that. So <laughs> and great. also we talked about um, edging, my edging. famous quote. <laughs> now that should go on a poster. <laughs> Hi, this is Blake Howard, host and producer of One Heat Minute Productions podcast. We dive into the great and underappreciated cinematic works, often one minute or one scene at a time. Our crew of guests are some of the most wonderful filmmakers, writers, authors, and critics ever assembled. Our shows include One Heat Minute, Josie and the Podcats, All the President's Minutes, Increment Vice, and right now, Zodiac Chronicle. Check out oneheatminute.com or find us wherever you get your podcasts. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.